I'll never forget the day that it clicked for me. I was sitting in the back of an art appreciation class and the instructor got up and started writing notes on the whiteboard. I couldn't see them super clearly and so I started looking around the room to see if anybody else was having as much trouble as I was. After about a minute or so of squinting, I, I tapped my buddy on the shoulder and I said, hey, why is she writing so small? Everything's so fuzzy. <laughs> he just laughed and said, bro, you need to get your eyes checked. I wonder if the disciples experienced a similar thing with Jesus. They thought they saw things so clearly, who Jesus was and what his purpose was going to be. He was going to restore their kingdom and bring peace to their nation, right? They were looking for a king like any other king they had known before. But I wonder when it clicked, where they didn't see things so clearly after all. Maybe it was when everything was spiraling downwards and Jesus got arrested and then beaten and then crucified. No, because even after he was resurrected, the disciples came up to him and asked him, is it now? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responded, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the father has fixed by his own authority. They still didn't get it. They needed a new lens. Sure enough, a week later, I scheduled an appointment with the optometrist and he began doing a series of tests on my eyes. I'll never forget one of the tests. He was having me look at letters through a different lens and he kept asking me the same question, better or worse? As I answered these questions, I was giving him more information and by the end, I could see every letter with perfect clarity. Finally, he took the lens off and he had me look at the letters without the lens and then with it. How I saw the world change completely. I mean, I was looking at the world from one perspective and never once doubted my vision. Everything I saw, I assumed was as intended, but clearly I needed a new lens. Jesus was with his disciples and he guided them, training them and teaching them. But even up until he ascended into heaven, they didn't see it. He gave them the hope of a coming promise but I can imagine them wondering as he's ascending, how will God fulfill his promise now that Jesus is gone? But Jesus didn't make them wait long. God sent the Holy Spirit down and he filled each of them. You see, the kingdom they were waiting for was an earthly one, but actually it's a heavenly one. The book of Acts is all about this perspective shift. The disciples could finally see clearly. God had come to fill their lives through the Holy Spirit and use these disciples in his mission to reach the lost. The disciples were charged to tell all the world who Jesus is and what his purpose was going to be. The disciples received this call over 2,000 years ago, and it was a complete shift in the way they viewed their purpose. I can't help but wonder today if Christians need to make that same shift. I mean, I look around and there are over 170,000 people in the Chino Valley. Some are single and some married, some conservative and others liberal. They vary in background and race and culture, yet they all need the same thing. They all need Jesus. 
The disciples were faithful to this new lens they received. And because of it, something radical happened. God used these disciples to change the world, not out of any special power they had, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of their faithfulness, the early church exploded and has grown to be what we see today. And it's still growing. God is not done growing his kingdom, and he wants you and me to be a part of it. God wants to use us to do his mission here. I mean, this calling will change your life, and it will be radical in the way it changes the lives of others. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the good news. My only question for you is, do you want to be a part of it? Are you ready for a change in perspective? So Christian church exploded after the death of Christ. A culture that was used to shifts of power through political and through war movements, they weren't prepared for what happened through some disciples, through some witnesses. As a result, after 30 years, roughly 30 years after the death of Christ, there began to be some unrest in culture. This movement drew interest from governmental leaders and rival religious leaders. They didn't understand the purpose and the power and the intention of this movement. It's understandable that people outside this movement would have concerns. There were mass conversions happening. If people were selling their property and giving the proceeds away to others. There was social awareness. There, within this movement, there wasn't competition between churches. There was unity. Collaboration. There was a new morality taking over that was shuttering businesses. This movement wasn't quite Jewish because there was freedom in the midst of it. But it wasn't quite Creek because there is unity and union and commitment to worshiping only one God. With such concerns, with such questions, there was unrest that was happening. Accusations were being created. Arrests were being made. But in the midst of all that, this church, this movement, continued to grow. Leaders in influential places began to ask questions. What's going on? And that's what led Luke, a Greek physician, to write a letter. He wrote this letter, two parts, the Gospel of Luke and the letter of Acts, to a young, influential leader named Theophilus. To help Theophilus understand the power behind this movement, and get him to imagine 
What do you think would happen if the power of the God of all creation, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, what do you imagine would happen if that power filled the lives of his followers and created a movement in the midst of his people? See, Luke, Luke wrote a letter to Theophilus, get him to imagine. What would you expect with a unified people filled with the power of God, not concerned about the future, not focused on the powers of this world, but unified in one hope, one spirit, one baptism, one calling. Luke's purpose of writing the letter of Acts is to get influential people back then and influential people today to understand the power of God at work in his people. Some people have called this letter the Acts of the Apostles or even the Acts of Peter and Paul. But these titles, I think, drastically reduce the impact that the power of God and the Holy Spirit had and still has in this movement. Other people have called it the acts of the Holy Spirit. However, I feel like this discounts God's intentionality of using ordinary broken people like you and me in fulfilling this movement. That's why I like the title Radical. Radical is defined, it describes a movement that is thorough, extreme in regards to change. And man, that is what God did back then. It was radical. And that leads me to wonder, do you think he can still do that today? Radical also describes something that is excellent, wonderful, and cool. Indeed, what Jesus began after that first Easter is still called to be those things. My hope in going through this book is that you and I will see the movement of God differently. That will be refocused on what we're about. be re-encouraged about whose power that we're set to do it in and are given a renewed hope and our confidence that what God did so powerfully back then, God can and will still do the same today. If you have your Bibles, you join me in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. If you're having trouble finding it, just go to the beginning of Matthew, of the beginning of the New Testament, flip to the right, you'll find it. While you're turning there, I want to make a plug for our new and improved sermon guide for this series. These sermon guides are designed with you in mind to give you a place to write down notes, things that you've learned on Sundays, but also give you some support 
for your spiritual growth Monday through Saturday. There's questions for you to go through in, in your home, on your own, with your friends at work, with your small group at church. But there's also a new element where Jeff's put in some activities specifically designed to help you grow in your relationship and walk with God. There's three formats you can get this study guide. One is the old-fashioned spiral-bound notebook that the office worked hard to present or to print and bind for you. If you weren't here last week, if you didn't get one last week, if you didn't get one while you walked in, today and today only we have good-looking people, mostly, who are willing to bring one to you. If you would like one of these sermon guides in paper form, please just raise your hand loud and proud. We will not judge you this week. Next week, we will. This week, we won't. Raise your hand loud and proud. Seriously, Andrew? Like my own son doesn't have a sermon guide. Oh, that's right. I said no judgment. I apologize. No judgment for everyone but the pastor's family. All right, but if you don't want a paper one, there's two other forms that you can get this. You can download the entire PDF format on our webpage. Just go to cbc, uh, cbcchurch.org and download it there. Or if that's too much work, just download the CVCC app, Chino Valley Community Church in your app store. Every week, just go down to the sermon section and it'll be given to you piece by piece each and every week where you can take notes, fill in the outline, and you'll have all those questions and activities as well. Now that we got that out of the way, let's begin our study of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it starts this way. <clears throat> Luke says this, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I love how Acts begins because he actually goes back to the Gospel of Luke. Remember, this is part two. This is a sequel. The Gospel of Luke was helping Theophilus understand about the power, call, and ministry of Jesus. It began with his birth. It ended with his death and resurrection. But see, that's not the end of the story. It's the same power and devotion, the same ministry that Jesus had on earth when he walked it. It's now going to be evident in his followers. There's a few things I want you to see in this. As Luke's coming and saying, listen, the ministry of Jesus isn't over. In fact, Theophilus, you need to understand that right now, instead of one Jesus, there's going to be hundreds Hundreds of people filled with the power of God, devoted to the gospel, forgiving sins, restoring homes, transforming lives. See, Luke is building up this, this expectation. Man, you thought the ministry of Jesus was awesome. You need to wait. 
I mean, even Jesus said that, right? Jesus looked at his disciples and said, what I'm doing here, you guys are going to do far greater things than me. Luke said, what Jesus began, the church is designed to continue and to grow Oh, I love that. After and Luke makes sure that the, the ministry of Jesus, it didn't end with his death and resurrection. Verse 3, to these he also presented himself alive after his sufferings. I mean, this was personal. This movement is personal to Jesus. He presented himself. That term presented means to stand near, appear directly in front of someone else. That term later appear means to be seen, be visible. Jesus didn't rise from the dead and lurk in the shadows. Jesus walked seven miles of the road to Emmaus and transformed their lives. Jesus appeared to his disciples not once but twice at least in this room as they cowered in fear. Jesus pursued Peter on the beach to restore him the ministry. Man, this movement of Jesus, it's personal. But it's also powerful. Look at the promise of power. See, it's rooted in this promise. Look what he says in verse 5. For John baptized with water, but huge, big biblical but right there. Man, he thought John the Baptist was amazing. He baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Luke's message is to proclaim that the story isn't over. The power and promise that was found in the ministry of Jesus on earth is still going to be found in the ministry of his followers. However, lest any of you think this is a one-time thing. If you think this is just temporary, Jesus left some very clear instructions, not just his promise of power, but number two, the reason for power. So you got to understand, when, when God said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have understood that. In the Old Testament, before the people who had the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the breath of God at work in their life, they had special purposes we're talking Samson, Elijah, Elisha, King David. I mean, these were the superstars. So when Jesus said, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, these disciples had expectations. These disciples had a very clear understanding that God was giving them a special and powerful purpose that they were incapable of doing on their own. It was necessary to have the power of God at work. See, these disciples, they misunderstood the reason for the power. Look, let's keep going. Verse 6. So when they came together, they were asking him, asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to be restoring the kingdom of Israel? I mean, Jesus promised them the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were ready to roll. And they had three great questions. Lord, are you going to do it now? Man, Jesus, we're tired of waiting. We've been following you three years. You've put us through the ringer, man. You hung on the cross. You died. That broke us. 
You rose from the dead. That freaked us out. Are we done playing? Like, are we going to do this now? We're tired of waiting. Let's do it. Question number two, are you creating a new political system? I mean, that's how you do change, right? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I mean, that's what you're calling us to do, right? You're filling us with the power of God. We're going to transform politics. Third question. You're going to restore Israel, right? That's what this is about. That's about Israel. See all these questions. God, when are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? What are you going to do? We have these preconceived ideas on how we would do it. Hey, if we were transforming the world, we'd form a political party and just take over. Look at God's response. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know times, epochs, or seasons for which the Father is fixed by his own authority. Hey, that's not your concern. Translation, I'm not giving you the Holy Spirit for that. I'm not empowering you for those things. That's not your job. Politics, taking things over through politics, not your primary concern. Moving God along on your timing, nope, not why I'm giving it to you. Lifting up a people above other people, nope. It's not yours. That's all under God's. The authority, that's God's. People, God's. So what? What is God giving the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, a triune God? What's the purpose? Verse 8, it's a big biblical but right there. But, meaning change of direction. Don't focus on that stuff. It doesn't mean you can't pay attention. It doesn't mean don't vote. It just means that's not your purpose. That's not what you're about. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let's hit pause. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, will suddenly arrive and fill their lives God is going to give you something special, powerful, reserved for the special. He's going to give it to all of you. Man, you know this is going to be good. And you know this is going to be hard. God doesn't give you the power of the Holy Spirit for something you can do on your own. This is something impossible for you to do on your own. This is huge. The Holy Spirit is going to arrive suddenly. Fill your lives so you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I'm in verse 8 in the middle. And here it is. Here's the purpose. You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And I think generations of Christians have been like, what? Really? That's it? All that power, all that promise, we followed you for three years, went through all that. We're witnesses. We're not kings. 
governors? We're not social media influencers? Witnesses? Sometimes people have that question because they don't understand the term. The term witness. It's a bit of meaning behind it. First of all, the Greek word of witness is martis, which is where we get our English word martyr from. This job is not something you go out and do twice a year. This term witness doesn't mean you go to the beach once or you go door to door every week. That's not what witness means. This isn't something you do for a few times in life. This is something you are. This is something that defines you so much that you would rather die than let go of it. This term witness is someone who solemnly testifies about the truth of Jesus and models his character throughout their life. It is a huge call. Look, say, you want to know why this movement is taking over? Because they have the power of God. And they're witnesses. They solemnly testify with their words and their life to model the characteristic and ministry of Jesus Christ. Look how Jesus said it. Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, Matthew recorded a, Jesus saying it a different way. He said this way. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Be witnesses, make disciples. This is your life. This is your call to go through the world, not just your little community. This is a global movement. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the places you don't want to go. That's our charge. And there's no place off limits. Everywhere. Discipleship is supposed to happen. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, immersing them in the power of God, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, passing on the word of God. And finally, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is not our movement. This is a movement of God. Luke, early on, is telling Theophilus, you got to understand this movement, these people, they don't care what you do. They're not about you. Theophilus, you don't have to worry about them. They're witnesses of the power of God. They're reflections of the glory of God. They're ambassadors of the ministry of God. They said, this is what you're about. Be disciples. For those of you who may be new, let me remind you of the purpose of our church. See, this is why we exist. We exist to glorify God by being disciples, by being a clear reflection of who Jesus is. Man, we can't get distracted by things that tarnish that reflection. When people look at the church, they're supposed to be able to see Jesus. Man, we need to be disciples and be about making disciples, helping other people understand the truth of God, the power of salvation, the transformation of life. 
How do we do that? I mean, Brian, it, how is that even possible? We think the Bible gives us a plan. We call it the wheel of discipleship. Well, we call it a few different things, but I call it the wheel of discipleship. Four characteristics. We think, if we're going to be about this movement, being and making disciples worldwide, this is what the Bible tells us we need to be about. First, belonging together. Belonging, having relationships. The Bible talks about this love in the church. And that's not just good feelings. That's not just niceties. A term love that he uses to describe our relationship, it's agape. Paul describes it in Corinthians. Love is patient, kind. There's no envy here. There's no grudges held here. We don't keep a record of wrongs as we trust everything to God. We don't take vengeance here. It bears all things, believes all things. You know how it ends? Love never fails. First thing we've got to be about is belonging, building that community together. Do we have those relationships where we hear truth? See, that's what, if you belong, that enables you to grow. I don't know about you. I've, I've had people speak into my life that I don't know. And it's hard for me to take that in. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know their love for me. There's people in this church who speak truth to my life. And they've demonstrated their love for me. They've stood with me in hard times. They've provided for me when I felt like I didn't have enough. And they have pushed me. So I think if you want to grow in the image of Christ, you need people in your life who will help you see things, change your perspective. I love how Paul says it in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 15, 16. Look, it says, speaking the truth in love. There's that term agape. By speaking that truth in love, by really growing together, we're to grow up in all aspects into him. When we belong, we grow up into all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And you want to really experience the power of God and be a part of this movement. If we want to see this movement take over, man, we've got to do more than just show up on Sundays. That's not what we see in Acts. It's this life of belonging, growing, serving, not ruling, not bossing, not influencing, serving. It was Jesus who modeled that when he got on his knees and washed people's feet. It's Jesus who modeled that. When he didn't see heaven as something to be held on to, 
He let go of all of it so he can come and take on the form of his own creation and die. And not just any death. Death on the cross. Why? So that he could serve the will of the Father. Restore us to to a relationship with God. And model for us what we're to be about. And finally, reach. Man, it's, it's no mistake. Statistics tell us that 80% of people who have a relationship with God met God through a family member or a friend. 80%. Almost all Christians didn't see God through some random act. It was because they belonged. That allowed them to trust and receive that message where they could grow and learn in an environment of grace and mercy. Man, none of us do it well. Can we all agree with that? None of us do it perfectly. We need that environment of grace and truth where someone can come alongside us and help us be a pure reflection of God's glory. And it is that big of a deal. That's what we're here to do. As we belong and grow together and serve one another, that empowers us and enables us to be used by God to get in the heart of another person where God can open their eyes and allow them to see God as we do. How far do we take this? I mean, will this work? Again, I want you to remember, this isn't just about the Chino Valley. This was given to disciples and just said, okay, I just want you to transform Jerusalem. We're just going to take over this little, little bit. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the people you haven't got along with for generations. And then the end of the globe. There isn't a place I don't want you to have influence. Now you know why the Holy Spirit was given. And the Holy Spirit that empowers, that unifies. The only way we can get this done. The only way they could get this done. Is because of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do it? I want to present to you one way. It's not the only way. But if you're like, Brian, I'm ready to do that. How do I do that? I'm a follower of God. I'm ready to stop being distracted. I'm ready to get moving. I'm ready to see the church be the church again. Man, we hear that all the time, right? I want the church to be the church. All right, let's do it. But I really believe the best way to do that, where you can belong and grow and serve and reach together, can I tell you, Most people are likely to share their faith when they're next to one of their friends. If we're expected to share our faith just one-on-one by ourselves, most of us won't do it. Can I, is anyone going to be bold enough to agree with me? I don't do it by myself as much as I should. How about you? When I'm with my friends? Man, when I'm by myself, when I look in the mirror, I look at all my great parts. I've learned to cover up all my bad parts. 
If I'm going to grow, I need someone to come into my life and challenge me. Best way to do that is through a small group. Why are we committed and focusing on small groups right now? Influx of people into our church, neighborhoods, and community. Chino Valley's growing. Chino, Chino Hills, Pomona, Ontario, Yorba Linda, Eastvale, Corona, Norco, Harupa Valley. I didn't even know there was such a thing as Harupa Valley. Now everyone's moving there. There's a ton of new people here. I believe God has called us to a ministry. Another reason why it's one of the best ways to do discipleship local and abroad. Luke's purpose of writing this letter is to help Theophilus understand the promise of power and why God has infused his church with his spirit so they could do discipleship. So I want to ask you to prayerfully, cons- uh, prayerfully consider joining a group or how's this? Leading a group. I was talking to Victor. We we're looking at the size of our church. I got to tell you, we need 40 new small groups if we're going to do this. 40. And maybe you're saying, Brian, I'm, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to lead a small group. Hey, we will train you. We'll equip you. We don't need to empower you. You've already been empowered if you're a believer. I ask you in the next couple of weeks, will you prayerfully consider being a small group leader? You can sign up for a small group to be a leader two different ways. There's a card in front of you and the seat back in front of you. You just put your name and information and just write on the back, small group leader, small group. Or you can go to our webpage. Just scroll down to the middle of the homepage. You'll see a big small group icon. Click that. It'll give you three options. You can join a small group. If you're new to the church, you just want to join a group now. You can meet new people and go through the study guide together. We have groups now just for that. Or maybe you're ready to sign up and be a leader. Help us form a new movement of people, not just in the Chino Valley, not just here at this church, but around the world to see what God can do with us. I love after Jesus gave them this message. Let's go back to the text. Look at verse 9. Like he didn't wait around. He dropped it. He gave the promise of power. He gave the reason for power. Verse 9, after he said these things, he was lifted up. I mean, he said, all right. Waved his arms and boop. Good luck. You have three years of training and you have the Holy Spirit coming. You don't need anything else. He didn't give him property. What? No property? No bylaws? No constitution. He said, all right, go make it happen. 
The cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, as they were gazing intently into the sky while he's going, behold, surprise, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Hello, God gave you a job, get to it. They're just waiting. Standing there, doing nothing. I don't know for how long. Must have been a while because these, these angels were impatient. All right, quit looking around. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, he's coming back. That's not a threat. That's just a promise. But it's accountability. Listen, Jesus is coming. He gave you a job. And he's coming back and he expects that job to be done. What are you doing? Staring into the clouds. You know what? And I still feel like 2,000 years later, thousands and thousands of Christians, what are we doing? Staring into the clouds. All right. Yeah, I think the weather looks right. Yep, Jesus is coming. He better not be coming. I don't think we're done. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Yes, Jesus, I want him to come, but I got to tell you, there's a part of me that's like, er, I'm not sure we're ready. Are you? These Christians staring up in the clouds. Angels come. Hey, get to work. What are you doing? God gave you this global job. Hop to it. As we get to the third point, we have the promise of power, the reason for power, and then the waiting for power. Look what they did, verse 12. After that, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not Iscariot. These all with one mind, look at what they were doing. First thing they did after all this happened, went back to the upper room. They were unified with one mind and were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There's this movement of people in this room. First thing they did, they prayed. They prayed for provision. I mean, they just received the most global movement call yet. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Go take over the world. And they're probably thinking, what the heck? Jesus, we need more. We need a plan. We need unity. We need ideas. We don't know how to do any of that. What on earth? And now Jesus is gone. They're sitting in this room. First thing they do is pray for provision. Along with that, Peter then takes over, and I'm just going to summarize the last 11 verses. Peter takes over and spends 11 verses first, again, publicly recognizing in the group of all these people why Jesus had to die. Man, Jesus had to die to reconcile us. Peter says, we have a huge job to do, and now we're a man down. Judas betrayed Jesus. He's dead. We need to fill the spot. 
We need to fill the spot with someone who's walked with us, who's belonged with us, who grew with us, who served with us, who reached with us. We need someone who did that discipleship wheel with us the entire time. Came down to two guys. They threw lots. It's like Jesus dice. Landed on Matthias. Smarter people than me have argued for generations whether they jumped the gun. Should they have waited and that be Paul? See, that's the beauty of the church of Christ. Like they just went. They did their best to follow Jesus and went. Sometimes they went a little weird. But they went. See, I think Christians today, we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing. We do nothing. And we sit and stare at the clouds and wait for Jesus to come up and do it for us. Chapter 1. It's a message from Luke to Theophilus to generations and thousands of readers since. This movement. It's nothing for you to fear. This isn't our home. It is not our movement. We take direction straight from God. We're filled with the power of God. And we are simply continuing the ministry of Jesus that transformed lives, restored souls, and revived hearts to the Lord. And I thought, how should we end this week, first week? Thought maybe it'd be good to maybe start where the disciples did. They prayed for provision and then prepared their hearts for action. That's what they did after chapter one. They just gathered together in one heart, prayed. Good Lord, if we're going to do this, God better show up. And they got ready to move. I'll invite you, first Monday of every month, first Monday of every month, we gather in here to pray for the provision plan of God to be at work, not just in our church, the other churches we partner with in the Tino Valley. We meet right in here, first Monday of every month, 7 o'clock. Please come. Just here's my disclaimer. There's no snacks. There's no worship. Just a bunch of people a little tired from the day coming and praying that God does a work. First Monday of every month right here in Sanctuary. Love to see you. Two things maybe to consider this week. Are you praying, seeking the provision of God for your ministry and your life? Are you prepared to be a part? Let's pray. Jesus, we're here as a church because we believe in your power. God, we believe in your call on our lives. God, I'm grateful for Acts because it just clearly spells out for them and for us 
your desire and your heart for our movement today. So God, I pray, we pray together for your provision. God, as Paul prayed earlier, open our eyes that we might see you. We might understand your plan for our lives. God, we might embrace the power that's already at work within us. It's able to do far more beyond anything we can ask, think, or even imagine. So give us faith. God, I pray if there's people here today who are like Theophilus, God, they're curious about their movement. They're curious about what you're doing. They're not sure whether they should be afraid of it or be a part of it. God, I pray you use this book to open their eyes. God, that they would see you as I do. And humble themselves to your heart, to your plan. God, they recognize the need for your salvation. But God, recognize your story doesn't end at their salvation. God, your desire is to not only transform our lives, but to fill us with your power that we might be a reflection of you, an ambassador of your ministry, a disciple, to walk our lives in the manner that you did, with the faith that you did, with the servant's heart that you did, with the power, the confidence, So God, we ask as a church, God, grow us, unify us. Give us all that we need. We might see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray everything in Jesus' name.